You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Uh, Well, let's get our Bibles open to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, We are looking at the great commission of Jesus Christ, Jesus' commission to the church, Jesus' commission to us to make disciples. We are in a a message, it's a part two of a message, Your Life Mission, Understanding the Great Commission. Uh, I want you to be reminded this morning that the Great Commission is your life mission. It's what Jesus has called you individually to do. Uh, and here is the setting for where we are. Uh, if, you, if you're joining us and maybe weren't with us last week, we've been studying through the book of Matthew verse by verse. And we have now come to the end of the book of Matthew. And here's what is happening in chapter 28. Uh, Jesus has died. He has resurrected. He went to the cross to take the punishment of our sins upon his own shoulders. He told his disciples in advance he was going to do this. Scripture foretold that he was going to do this. The book of Isaiah, 700 years beforehand, told he was going to do this. This was God's plan laid out from the beginning of creation. That God would become a man and he would take the sins of the world on his own shoulders that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. That his righteousness could be imparted to us as a free gift Because he became our kinsman, our kinsman redeemer, who went to the cross on our place. And so Jesus finished that work. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. And our redemption was purchased and done. And then Jesus rose three days later. And he made many appearances to his disciples, to his followers, uh, during the next 40 days while he was on the earth. Uh, he, he showed himself in, for 40 days to many different groups. He appeared to Peter privately. Uh, the scripture doesn't record what happened in that meeting. It just records that it happened. He probably restored Peter. He came to uh, the disciples uh, when they were at a meal, when they were having dinner, Jesus just comes in, walks into the, into the room, just appears, and they were all astonished. And they're like, oh my gosh, he is alive. And he says, yes, I'm not a spirit. I, you're not dreaming. This isn't a vision. I'm real. Touch me. Feel me. And so they reached out their hands and they touched him. He says, the spirit doesn't have flesh and bone like I have. And they touched him and they realized he was real. I imagine they were so much in shock. And Jesus said, hey, well, what's for dinner? And they said, we're having fish and some bread. He says, well, let me have some. And he eats the fish and eats the bread and they see it go into his body. They know they're not dreaming, right? It's like this physical manifest uh, appearance of Jesus. And over and over he appears. Thomas wasn't with him at one of the appearings. He comes back another time. Thomas, touch my wounds, touch my side. Uh, 
these appearances. He appeared to two who are walk two disciples who are walking on the road to Emmaus. And they didn't know that Jesus had resurrected and they were discouraged. They were talking about the Messiah. Oh, he was amazing. And we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was going to set up his kingdom. And Jesus pulls up next to him and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they say, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know? There's this man, his name was Jesus. And he appears to him and he reveals himself to them and they're moved. One of those guys was named Cleopas. Uh, the other, we believe, is Luke, Dr. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Jesus appearing to them. And I love that Jesus uh, made so many different appearances. And he appeared first. Who did he appear first to, church? We looked at this last week. Who did he appear first to? To the ladies. To Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and some of the ladies who were there. And I love that. Jesus appears to the ladies in that culture. Uh, women didn't have a lot of authority. A woman's testimony wasn't even permissible in court. And for Jesus to appear to the ladies first reveals a lot about Jesus. It reveals, that he, uh, it reveals that he reveals himself to us, not for what he can get out of us, but he reveals himself to us for our sakes, to bless us. And Jesus re revealed himself to the ladies and for their benefit. And uh, this is important for us to know and to understand. Because a lot of times, especially if we don't know Jesus very well yet, we think that Jesus wants something from us. And we look at all of his commands as, oh man, I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this. I have good news. Jesus doesn't want anything from you. God himself said, if I were hungry, I would not ask you, right? I am more than capable, all right? He doesn't need anything from us, but what he does do is invite us to walk with him and invite us to know him and invite us to experience who he is and his great love for us because it transforms us and our life is enriched when we begin to know who he is. It's interesting that those who don't know God will often make deals with God when they're in really big trouble, right? Like, uh, you know, they find out there's cancer and they're like, oh my gosh, Lord, if you save me, I'll give my life to you as if that was like some great deal for God, right? Uh, God doesn't need anything from us, but he invites us to walk with him. God loves us, and love wants a response in return. I want you to know something. When I say that Jesus loves you, I don't mean merely universally. Yes, Jesus loves you, everyone, but he also loves you personally, intimately. And I am amazed at the, intim the intimacy that he allows us to have when we begin to walk in fellowship with him. And to that end, Jesus calls us to make disciples, to do a work with him. And it's an exciting work to embrace. We're going to pick up in Matthew 28, reading the Great Commission, uh, right where we were last week. This is part two of this message. Matthew 28, verse 16. If you're there, give me a big amen. Amen. Yeah. 
Then the eleven disciples went away to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Yeah, Jesus, we looked at this last week, when he was on earth, when he was teaching his disciples, he told them in advance, I'm going to die, I'm going to resurrect, and when I do, I want you to go to Galilee, and I want you to wait for me, I'm going to appear to you there. Then the angel came, and the angel, when, uh, when Jesus resurrected, and the angel spoke the same message. And so now the disciples are going to Galilee. They've seen Jesus resurrected many times in Jerusalem, and he's told them again to go to Galilee, and now they're going, they're going to Galilee, which is about 70 miles to the north of Jerusalem, and uh, they're going there for a meeting. And when they get there, they find that there's hundreds of disciples there. 1 Corinthians tell us that, tells us that Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time. His, his, his resurrection was not private. It was a public resurrection. He appeared to masses. And uh, we believe it was there at Galilee that he appeared to these masses. Uh, so verse 18. And Jesus spoke to them there in Galilee. And he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Underline the word all authority. What is he saying? He is saying, I have all authority, the same authority that created the universe, the same authority that said, light be, and light was in Genesis 1. The same authority that spoke the universe to existence belongs to Jesus Christ. And look what he says. This is why he brings that point up. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go, therefore, in that authority, in that power, in the, in the very command of God behind you, go and make disciples of all the nations. The word nations there in the Greek is ethnos. It means of all races. It was God who created the different races. And God loves all of them and wants all of them to come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. God is no respecter of persons. Go and disciple all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Someone who knows Jesus. Someone who obeys him and walks in his ways. If you follow somebody on social media, you get all their updates. You know what they're doing. You know what they're saying. You know what they're teaching. You know what they're proclaiming. Well, we get that idea of following. Following Jesus, though, is even more, more intimate. It's knowing him. It's understanding his teachings. It's walking in his ways. It's doing life with him. And that's what he says he wants us to do. He wants us to make disciples for people to know him, right? And he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to have a baptism on December 12th. It's a command, right? If you haven't been baptized, you want to obey Jesus. Get that done. Uh, and, and you'll be blessed as a result. 
Baptism is a picture of the old man dying and the new man resurrecting in the power of the Holy Spirit. Our flesh nature that used to control us, no, we no longer live by that. We're now a follower of Jesus Christ and we're led by his spirit. That's what baptism is. If you haven't done it, get baptized. And Jesus says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What's interesting is those aren't names. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not names. Those are titles. The name of our God the triune God is Yahweh. And he exists in three persons, the person of the Father, the person of the Son, the person of the Holy Spirit. And he says, uh, baptize them in the harmony, in the person of all of those names. And then look what he says, verse 20, teaching them. Teaching them, that's what discipleship is. Right now, guess what is going on? What's happening here right now? Discipleship. Teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and I love this promise, and lo, or in other words, behold, or in other words, pay attention, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How often is always? I'm with you all the time. I'm with you right now. I'm leading, guiding, and directing you. I'm watching you dedicate your children to me. I'm promising to be involved in their life. I'm promising to raise them up. It's a tremendous work that the Lord is doing. If you are a parent and you dedicated your child to the Lord and now you have a teenager who's going sideways, I want you to know God is stronger than crazy hormone-filled teenagers. <laughs> and I have watched him work. He is faithful. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so here, this is his commission for us. And I want you to know, you have been commissioned by God to make disciples of all people. How are you doing in what you've been commissioned to? Are you embracing that commission? This is your life mission given to you by God. You might be called by God to disciple your wife. You might be called by God to disciple your children. Not might, you will be. But also a bunch of other people. This is God's mission for our life. You've been commissioned by Jesus to make disciples of all people. And this isn't just a, a command or a, a commission for pastors. This is a commission for each of us individually. Jesus invites us to partner with him in his good work of saving and building lives. And what is really cool is that this is a, a big part of how we enjoy our relationship, our personal relationship with Jesus. As we start doing what he said, making disciples, guess what we find? He starts working in our life, empowering us, leading us, pouring more into us so that we can do a better job at making disciples, and he starts building us. And we experience him as we're doing the work that he's called us to do. Awesome. Awesome to consider. 
Jesus' earthly ministry here is coming to a close. He's going to ascend to the throne of God. He is going to be sitting at the right hand of power. But his work here on the earth is not done. And that is why he gives us this mission to make disciples. He wants us to be his hands and his feet and to be his mouth and to do, uh, do the work with him as he invites us to part, partner with him. I find it interesting that many Christians do not understand their mission in life to make disciples. And because they don't understand the mission that God has given them to make disciples, they run after a, a myriad of other things. A lot of Christians think that their mission is to not sin. And they spend all of their time and all of their effort trying hard not to sin. Can I tell you something? That's a miserable life. Right? Uh, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't look at this. Don't touch that. That's a miserable way to go through life. Far better. Far better to embrace the call that God has on our life and experience the joy that comes from that. Uh, all the other things will just be um, automatic at that point. And so may we embrace the Great Commission. I want you to know it is not complex. It is simple. We talked about this last week. Just share what Jesus has done in your life with others and share the gospel with others. Uh, uh, the, the gospel is simple. If you don't know it, listen to last week's message. It's simple to share. Jesus died on a cross, save you of your sins, and you can have righteousness imparted to you. Practice, learn it. Uh, pr share Bible studies that you're, you're receiving. Share the good things God is doing in your life. When you uh, read the Bible, share it with others. Tell people at work about it. Tell people about Jesus. It's not complex making disciples. Uh, last week, we looked at four reasons why we should make disciples. And I just want to hit them really fast. I'm not going to spend time on them like we did last week. But just hit them really fast as we move forward in our talk today. The first reason we should make disciples is because Jesus commanded us to make disciples. And that ought to be enough. That is a good enough reason. God became a man. He went to a cross to pay the punishment of our sin so that he can give us eternal life as a free gift. We ought, to, we, ought to, we ought to have interest in doing what he asks us to do. It ought to touch our heart. We ought to say, Lord, if you love me that way, I want to do the things that are important to you. And uh, may we be involved uh, uh, and, and being, making disciples simply because Jesus commanded us to. The second reason that we ought to be making disciples, we looked at last week, is because people are going to hell without Jesus. Uh, life is short, man. It goes by quick. And I tell you, it is, uh, Jesus taught a lot about hell. Hell is real. It's eternal. And it is hot. Jesus spoke a lot about it. And it is not figurative. And uh, he takes no delight in the death of the wicked. And if we are separated from God by sin, we cannot come into his presence. That's why we need a savior. 
And if we believe that uh, people are lost and going to hell, uh, we will have a, a desire to make disciples. And so may that be on our heart. Uh, I am amazed at how people who are lost and going to hell will busy themselves with the affairs of life, going to Starbucks, going shopping, building a career, uh, planning vacations, trying to get six-pack abs, doing all the things they do, running around, you know, and and it's like setting up deck chairs on the Titanic. I mean, it's just like crazy, right? Crazy. And so uh, we ought to care that people are going to hell, and it ought to change uh, the way that we go about life and, and making disciples. The third reason is because people's lives are hurting. Uh, this world is a tough place. There's emptiness, there's loneliness, there are broken relationships, there are bondages and addictions that people fall into. People's lives are broken and hurting, and Jesus is the answer to those broken lives. <laughs> Jesus can come into a broken life and make a new life. It's called being born again, and he brings healing and, and life into the barren deserts. Uh, you know, he is able to restore store and to, and to build. And uh, so, so important that we, we care and that we bring the answer. I want you to know all of the addictions that we see in the world, the alcohol, the drugs, the, the pot, the cocaine, the, uh, the pornography, the all of it, right? Uh, the sexual immorality, the being consumed with all the various pursuits, right? All of these things are because life is difficult. And we are trying to find a way to anesthetize ourselves and all of it. And uh, Jesus is the answer. And so we ought to be making disciples. Uh, and the last reason, the fourth reason why we should make disciples is it gives our life incredible purpose. Uh, making disciples is an incredible joy, and helping others learn and know about Jesus is just incredibly rewarding. Embracing the great commission that God has put on our life is like living life on a higher plane. You want to live life on a higher plane? You want to uh, you want to enjoy more than just the same TV show over and over and over? Start embracing God's call upon your life to make disciples, and your life will become rich and rewarding. Uh, a lot of us uh, uh, fall into various snares and traps because uh, we're not embracing the Great Commission on our life. And uh, so all Christians have been commanded by Jesus to make disciples. And uh, this is God's calling on our life. And I, I just want to ask you, how are you doing in it? You don't have to answer out loud, but you do need to answer to the Lord right now. How are you doing at making disciples? And you say, I don't know, I can't do it. I don't think I know enough. You can do it. We looked at it last week. The woman at the well just got saved, and all she did is she ran into the town, and she told everyone, come and meet a man who knew everything about me. You can do it. How are you doing at making disciples? And as you start in it, God will grow you in it. Jesus said it this way, whoever has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But to him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Sounds like a tongue twister, but when you meditate on the words, they're profound. When you, here's what Jesus is saying, when you walk in my path for you, when you are making disciples, 
I will pour even more into you. But if you're not doing the things that I asked you, even what you have will be lost. You'll lose it. And life becomes incredibly rewarding. Um, now, where we're going today is we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit's role in our life when we make disciples. You see, making disciples is not merely a human effort. It's also a spiritual work. And so we want to look at that today. Jesus did something very interesting that I want you to think about. Uh, we've looked at what's happened, right? He called all of the disciples to Galilee, which is 70 miles north of Jerusalem. And he gives them the great commission to make disciples. And then Jesus is going to tell them, but not yet. I want you to wait. I want you to go back to Jerusalem and I want you to wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you before you start making disciples. Jesus is showing us that discipleship is not just our doing, it's what? It's his doing and it's us partnering together with him. So to look at that, let's flip over to Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 1. And I think that you'll see why we're going here in just one second. Acts chapter 1. If you're there, give me a big amen. amen. <clears throat> Acts chapter 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus, circle this word, began to do and teach. Not of all that Jesus finished doing and teaching, of all that Jesus what? <laughs> Began to do. You know what that means? It means Jesus' work on this earth is what? It's not done. He's still working. He's still doing. And notice what it says, the former account I made. Uh, the author of the book of Acts is Luke. And the former account that Luke is speaking of is the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. And this is the continuation of the Gospels. And uh, it, 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 it's right for us to go here because this is what happens next after the Gospels. And you'll notice it says, the former account I made, O Theophilus. Uh, we do not know who Theophilus was. But I think that we do know who Theophilus was. Here's what I mean. We don't know who the person Theophilus was, but I don't think it was a person. I think it was all of us who are lovers of God. You see, Theo means God. It's where we get theology. Theo means God. And phileo means love. Theophilus means lover of God. The former account I made, you lover of God, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. Right? And look at this, verse 2. Until the day in which he was taken up, taken up into heaven. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Uh, Jesus was taken up by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he was taken up after he had given the commandments to the apostles. Here's my question. What commandment? The Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all peoples. 
Then he was taken up. Uh, verse 3. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering, after he went to the cross, by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during the 40 days and speaking to them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Uh, hey, I'm not done with my work. I still have a plan for you guys. You'll remember John and, and six of the other disciples, they thought, well, I guess we blew it following Jesus. And John goes back to his fishing business, right? Jesus says, no, 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 no. I still have a plan for you, John chapter 21, right? I still have a plan for you. Don't go back to your fishing business. I still want to use you, right? Uh, of all the things that uh, pertain to the kingdom of God, verse four, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to, read this next word with me, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. What's that? Yeah, Jesus says, hey, I don't want you to start ministry yet. I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait for the promise of the Father, which you have heard from me. What promise, Jesus? The promise of the Holy Spirit coming into your life. It was spoken by the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2. It was taught repeatedly by Jesus that he was going to die, he was going to resurrect, and he was going to send the Holy Spirit to do a work in our lives. Look at verse, verse 5. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, look at John's baptism. Guess what happened to you? All you got was wet. But it was a picture. We're going to have a baptism here in December, as I mentioned. And all you're going to get is wet. But it's a picture of what Jesus wants to do in your life. And he only does it for those who obey him, who get baptized, right? Who walk in his ways. And what is it? John merely baptized you with water. I'm going to submerge you with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to have the Holy Spirit come upon you. Verse 6. Therefore, when he had come together, they asked him, that's Jesus. They asked Jesus, Lord, let me, read with me what they ask him. What do they ask? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? These guys have a one-track mind, don't they? This is what they were asking Jesus during his whole ministry. Jesus, are you going to set up your kingdom now? Jesus, are you going to set up your kingdom now? And here, he's resurrected. He tells them, wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. First question, are you going to set up your kingdom now? Why did they ask that question? Here's why. Because the Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would set up his kingdom in Israel. And so they're waiting for it. Verse 7. And Jesus says to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put under his own authority. Notice what Jesus didn't say. Jesus says, guys, I'm not ever going to set up my kingdom. That's not what he said. He says, it's not for you to know the date or the hour that I set up my kingdom. If there was no millennial kingdom, if Jesus wasn't coming back to rule and reign on the earth, and he's coming very soon, by the way, just watch the news. Prophecy is being fulfilled right before our eyes. 
if he wasn't coming back, if the all-millennialists were right, those who say there is no millennial reign, if they were right, Jesus would have said here, guys, you have the wrong idea. I'm not coming back to set up my kingdom. He didn't say that. He said, it's not for you to know the time. I'm going to do that. Jesus is coming back, and we're to keep our eyes ready and waiting for him. Um, look what he says, uh, verse 8. Gets him back to the, to the subject at hand. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me or witnesses of me uh, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is our mission once again being instructed by Jesus. And know what he says. He says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Really interesting. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Uh, you're going to receive power and you're going to be witnesses of me. I want you to know that there are three positions of the Holy Spirit with people. Three positions of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. Three distinct positions of how the Holy Spirit relates with people. Uh, the Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. And the Holy Spirit comes upon us. These are the three positions of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Say them with me, if you will. With us, in us, and upon us. What are the differences? Well, here's the difference. Here's how uh, God has set things up. Before we are believers, before we understand that Jesus died on the cross for us, before we make him the Lord of our life, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us, comes along with us, and tries to bring us into a relationship with God. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Jesus said, you didn't come looking for me, I came looking for you. You didn't call me, I called you. You didn't love me, I loved you. God is the initiator of our relationship with him. And he comes along with us, on the side of us. And the Holy Spirit has a specific role in our life at that time. It's to bring us under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will convict the world of three things. Of sin, of righteousness, and of the judgment to come. And so before we are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to us and he says, Dave, dude, look what you have done. Look what you have been doing. You've got a lot of sin in your life. And he convicts me that, uh, hey, I've got this sin. I'm not right with God. And then he convicts me of righteousness. You've got a problem with your sin, Dave, and there is only one answer to that sin problem. The answer is Jesus died on a cross for you. And he convicts me of the righteousness that is available to me as a free gift through Jesus Christ. 
and he convicts me of the judgment to come. Dave, if you don't make this decision to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, there is a judgment day coming, and you will stand before God, and you will be forever separated for him, from him, and you will go to hell for all of eternity. Or you can come and be in the presence of God for all eternity. It all depends on what you do with your choice in Jesus Christ. And so that is the Holy Spirit coming along with us. And then we make a decision. And I am so glad. I remember when the Holy Spirit called me. I wasn't even thinking about God. I wasn't even caring about God. And God got a hold of me and said, Dude, I am calling your life. And I had to make a choice. And by God's grace, and by God's grace alone, I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior 32 years ago, and I have never been the same. The moment that I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, guess what happened positionally with the Holy Spirit? He was with me, and then what? He came in me. And now the Holy Spirit dwells in us as believers. Why couldn't the Holy Spirit dwell in us before we came to Christ? Why? Because we were separated by sin. And Jesus taught that really well to the disciples. He told the disciples, guys, I am going to the cross. And I tell you, it's good for you that I go to the cross. For if I don't go to the cross, the Holy Spirit cannot come to you. Well, what's that? The Holy Spirit's already been with us, leading, you know, bringing us to. Uh, Jesus explained it. Look at John 14 on your screens. John 14, 15. Let me hear you read this. If you love me, keep my commandments. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you. How long? Forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. Stay here. Go back one second. Uh, this is the Holy Spirit. It is the spirit of truth. It is another helper from God, the Holy Spirit. And the world doesn't receive him. It doesn't see him. It doesn't know him. Let's go on. <clears throat> but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. What's Jesus telling the disciples? Right now the Holy Spirit is with them. Why wasn't the Holy Spirit in them? Because Jesus hadn't paid the price of their sins yet and the Holy Spirit could not dwell in them. And that's why Jesus says, I tell you, it's to your advantage that I go to the cross because then the Holy Spirit can dwell in you. And the moment that Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, we were cleansed of our sins and we were filled with his Holy Spirit. Awesome. Awesome. How awesome to consider. By the way, do you know the very first thing that Jesus did once he resurrected from the grave? Do you know the very first thing he did? You might want to read it later. He appears to the disciples in John chapter 20 and he breathes in them the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. 
Here's what's crazy. In all of Jesus' ministry, he never did that once to the disciples. The very first thing he does after he resurrects is he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. You've now been cleansed of your sins. Now the Holy Spirit can go from being with you and being in you. And this is so cool, by the way, because do you know what Jesus is doing when he breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit? Where is he taking us? He's taking us back all the way to where? To Genesis, to the Garden of Eden, when God made man and formed him and fashioned him from the ground and he breathed in him the breath of life and man became a living being. Adam and Eve were filled with the Holy Spirit. It was indwelling in them and then they sinned and the Holy Spirit departed from them and they realized they were naked and now God is like oh I can't wait to do this back to the very thing I planned at the very beginning and he fills them with the Holy Spirit and he breathes on them. Does that make sense? <clears throat> Powerful. Uh, verse 8 you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is the third position of the Holy Spirit in our life. And this position is only available to those who have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, there is a third position of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit then comes upon you. Coming upon you and baptism of the Holy Spirit are synonymous terms. They are saying the exact same thing. It's being drenched, if you will. It's being submerged, if you will. It's the Holy Spirit coming upon you. And what is that? That is when you are a believer. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And you want to go do the work of the Lord, building kingdom, building people's lives making disciples, doing his work. Guess what happens? As you're doing that work, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will empower you to do the work what he has called you to do. If you are thinking, I can't make disciples, on one hand I would say you're absolutely what? Right. But you will have God's power upon you if you're a believer and he will enable you to make disciples. Uh, so cool. Um, so let's read what happens. Verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things, uh, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, he went up. Jesus ascended up to the right hand of the throne. And behold, two men stood by them, the disciples, in white apparel. These are angels. And they said to, him, uh, said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? Can you imagine what the 11 disciples look like? Oh my goodness. Jaws open. These two angels come along. They just kind of go, okay, raise the job, raise the job. Why are you gazing? And uh, look what they say. This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, I love these words, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. What's that? Yeah, Jesus will return in glory just as he ascended to heaven in glory. And Revelation chapter 19 spells that out in detail, how he is going to come back in glory. He came the first time in humility, taking on the form of a servant. He's coming back the second time in all of his glory, the King of 
kings and the Lord of lords. And every eye will see him. Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. He is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, verse 12. Uh, then they returned. That's the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day journey. Uh, why did Jesus give the great commission to make disciples and then tell them to wait for the Holy Spirit? Simply this, to teach us, to teach us that we are not able to make disciples by our own abilities and by our own strength. We need to learn to depend on the Holy Spirit working in our life and allow him to lead us, uh, which brings us to a really cool point. Jesus desires to work with you in a joint effort to make the discipleship, excuse me, to make disciples. And to me, that is just so cool to know that God wants to work together with me. I mean, I love nothing more than doing things with my kids. You know, having Ryan dedicate his son to the Lord today, having him play on stage, having Nathan playing on piano, having Jordan be in men's ministry, having Mariah being a leader in young adults ministry and working in the cell ministry and working in children's ministry. I love it. And how much more God, who is holy. He says, man, I just want to work with you to do my family, my family business, if you will. It's not a business, but you know what I mean. To do the kingdom work of making disciples. And uh, making disciples of Jesus is God and you working together. And to me, that is the coolest thing in the world. How many of you would like to partner with God Almighty personally on a project? If you are a, if you're a, if you're even breathing, you'd be like, yeah, I'd want that. Well, then here's the answer: start making disciples and watch him do that very thing. Jesus tells the disciples, wait, wait, because I want to do this with you. Don't go out and run ahead of me. I want to do this with you, and I want to teach you that you you can't do this on your own. You need me. It's interesting, isn't it? What a privilege that we get to make disciples with Jesus, with God. God could have easily just commanded angels to do that job, right? To do that work. And frankly, it probably would have been a lot more effective. <laughs> hey, Gabriel, recede the sky and uh, preach, a, preach a message for everybody on earth. Uh, do you think that might be effect, more effective than my silly preaching right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> but God in his wisdom has not set it up that way. He knows that man would choose God just because he saw the glory of heaven. Instead, he wants us to choose him for him. And here's what it's, the Bible says. It pleases God by the foolishness of man's teaching to save those who believe. God wants to use you and it pleases God to do it, to bring salvation and to bring others into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't know about you, but I have learned the hard way that we cannot make disciples on our own strength, that we cannot do ministry in our own strength. And man, it gets ugly when we try. In my younger years as a believer, I tried a little too hard to make disciples, if you know what I mean. And I did it not in God's strength, but in my own strength, and I damaged some relationships. 
I had a next door neighbor that I damaged in my overzealous nature, uh, tried to do it in my own strength. And uh, God is telling us here, hey, be careful. Uh, It's messy, man. It can get ugly when we do it in our own strength. What does it look like when we try to make disciples in our own strength, not in the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, one of the ways it looks is radically over-spiritual. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord, brother. Yes, amen, amen. Yeah, I got up at five this morning. I was in prayer. No, I was just so blessed. I mean, the Lord just came upon me. And it was like, like, what? What? That's a little too spiritual. That's a little too self-righteous. Sometimes when we try to make disciples in our own strength, it looks a little too lawyer-esque. We start beating people with doctrine. Well, you know that you're a sinner, aren't you? You know where sinners go, don't you? Have you ever told a lie? What does that make you? A liar. Have you ever lusted at a woman? What does that make you? An adulterer. You know where liars and adulterers go? Back off, dude. Back off. You're scaring the hell out of me. Not, not, not saving me from hell, right? Uh, and I meant that not as a swear word, but if it didn't come out right, please forgive me. I meant it not as a swear word. It means you're not in harmony with the Spirit. You're doing more damage than good. And from the beginning, the message that Jesus was trying to give us is, hey, I know you're my disciples, I know, but you need to wait and work in harmony with the Holy Spirit. You cannot do this on your own. And I am so thankful, man. Here's why. Because we don't need to sell Jesus. Have you ever seen pastors trying to sell Jesus? It's ugly. I hope I never come across as trying to sell you Jesus or stir up an emotional frenzy to get you to make an emotional decision. I I never want you to make an emotional decision for Jesus. I want you to make a wise, educated decision. He is worthy of following. It's God who says, come, let us reason together. Let's just look at this. You're a sinner. You're guilty of sin. I'm a savior. I think you need me. Right? And uh, that is God's work. Um, I'm so thankful. God doesn't need us to sell Jesus, uh, but he does invite us to partner with him and to do the work uh, that he has called us to do. And when he does, he empowers us. Jesus says, wait till the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will receive power. The word in the Greek is dunamis, right? You'll be my witnesses. You'll be revealing me to, to, to people and you'll make disciples. Here's the question for us. How does the Holy Spirit empower us? What does it look like when he does? How does the Holy Spirit empower our lives? Well, here's the answer. The Holy Spirit empowers us by enabling us to walk like Jesus walked and to talk like Jesus talked and to love like Jesus loved and to care like Jesus cared and to serve others like Jesus served others and to have discernment like Jesus had discernment. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and this is how the Holy Spirit comes upon us and how he works in our life when he does. He makes us and allows us and enables us to live like Jesus lived. And this is exactly what Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would do in our lives. 
a couple of verses for you uh, that Jesus, when he was teaching on the Holy Spirit, uh, this one is John 14, 26. Uh, take a look at this with me. Let me hear you read. Jesus teaching on the Holy Spirit. He says, read with me, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring... Bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Uh, notice this here. Uh, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. My name, it doesn't mean the name Jesus. It means the nature and person of who he is. It'll have his identity. It'll look like him. He will teach you all things and he will bring to your remembrance all the things that I have taught you, Jesus saying, right? That's what the Holy Spirit will do in our life. It makes us be able to walk and talk and move like Jesus. Uh, John 16, 13, another teaching where Jesus brought out this truth. Let me hear you. When he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak speak. Yeah, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. He'll allow you to see what is really going on in that person's life, where the problem really is, what the right way to walk in this would be, how to handle that child who's going through this difficult time and how to point him back to Jesus. He will guide you in all truth. He will guide you in all the truth of my commandments, my teachings, my instructions, and he won't speak on his own authority. He's going, only going to speak the things that Jesus spoke. Let's go on. The rest of the verse. Look what Jesus said. He will tell you things to come and he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. What's that? What is Jesus saying? Well, loosely paraphrased, the Holy Spirit will empower us by enabling us to walk and to speak and to live like Jesus. That's what he wants to do. I know there are a lot of false teachings out there about the Holy Spirit that you got to speak in tongues and you got to fall over backwards and be healed and you got to be weird and quake and shake and all kinds of things. I want you to know those are all false teachings. The Holy Spirit will always do this. Let me just say it again. The Holy Spirit will always empower us and enable us to walk like Jesus walked. That's what he does. This is what a spirit-led life looks like. And it's not all weird like we see in false teachers. It is like, it is, it just looks like Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit will always lead us to act like Jesus act. He will, he will cause us to, to just do the same things that Jesus did. Um, and that's a cool place to be. Uh, even, told, even though Jesus told the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit to come before they started making disciples, right? He gives them the commission, make disciples, but wait, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Uh, and then he ascended. What day did Jesus ascend? On the 40th day. What day did the Holy Spirit come? On the 50th day after his crucifixion. So that's only a 10-day period they had to wait. That's not very long, right? Week and a half. Even though Jesus told the disciples to not make disciples, to not do anything, to just wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them, did they do it? How many of you say no? 
How many of you say yes? 99% of you aren't voting. Yeah. <laughs> Did they do it? Well, they all went to an upper room and they all gathered together and they waited there for 10 days. And they had a prayer meeting. So they kind of did it. But they didn't do it perfectly. There were 120 disciples there. And they were all there for those 10 days waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, which Jesus had promised. And during those 10 days, somebody got a little antsy. His name? Peter. And he says, hey, you know, one of the disciples betrayed Jesus. His name was Judas. It was prophesied that this was going to happen. We need to appoint another apostle. And Jesus said, don't do that. Wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so Peter leads this meeting, and they cast lots. And who do they appoint? Matthias. As one of the 12 apostles. And if Matthias is one of the 12 apostles or not, I'll let you decide, but I'll tell you this, his name is never mentioned again in scripture. Not once. There are historical accounts that he went to Ethiopia and died there as a martyr. I don't know if they're true or not, but the Bible doesn't mention him once. Jesus had another person in mind to be his 12th apostle. Who was it? Paul, you all knew. And how do we know Paul? We don't even have to guess if Jesus called him or not, right? He called him and his life shows ton of fruit, right? And so here, uh, I'll let you decide if Matthias was an apostle or not. But I know one thing. They didn't do what Jesus said, which was what? Wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Otherwise, uh, you know, you won't make good decisions. Uh, something happened. Uh, in Acts... Um, uh, in the book of Acts in chapter 2, something radical happens. A few days later, they appoint Matthias and everything, and Matthias doesn't do anything. And, and But just a few days later, they're there, and the day of Pentecost comes, and something powerful happens. I'm going to ask Kyle and the team to come back up. Something powerful happens. The Holy Spirit comes upon the 120 believers who are waiting as they, Jesus told them to. And the Holy Spirit empowers them for ministry. And they start praising God. And they start worshiping God. And everybody watching is in awe of this work that God is doing. And they all hear them in their own language praising and, and proclaiming the wonderful works of God. There were some who were not thrilled about it. And when they saw this, they said, these guys are drunk. And you know what happened to Peter? This same Peter stands up and in the most natural way, not with shaking and quaking, not with speaking in tongues, this same Peter stands up and says, men and brethren, these men are not drunk as you suppose. This was what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he gives a biblical basis for what was happening with the Holy Spirit coming upon the church. It was prophesied. What does he do? He gives an expository Bible study. 
and he gives a biblical basis for the what was happening. Wow. Very natural. He was offended. Men and brethren, these men are not drunk as you suppose. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. That your, the Holy Spirit would come upon God's people and their sons and their daughters would prophesy and proclaim the wondrous works of God. And this has been fulfilled in your hearing. The second thing he did is he said, and this Jesus that you killed, that you crucified is still alive. He has resurrected and he has ascended up into the heaven and he is now sitting at the right hand of God, this Jesus that you crucified. And guess what he did after he told them that? He gave them a biblical basis for the ascension of Jesus Christ from Psalm 16 and from Psalm 110 on why this Jesus is sitting on the throne of God. And when Peter gave this little three-point sermon, right? This Holy Spirit was from God. It was prophesied. This Jesus who you killed is not, is not dead. He's alive. And he's sitting on the right hand of the throne of God in power. And he's the guy you crucified. He's going to be the judge of the universe. You might be in trouble. Guess what happened? They heard these words, and the Bible says what? They were cut to the heart, and they asked Peter, what must we do? They were convicted of sin. What must we do? And Peter said, I'll just tell you what Jesus said. You got to repent of your sins, and you got to get baptized, and you'll be saved. And you know what happened? Peter had the Holy Spirit come upon him. And guess what he looked like? Guess what he talked like? Guess what he sounded like? Just like Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit on our life. That's what he wants to do with us. And, G and Peter told this promise. He quoted from Joel. He says the same promise of the Holy Spirit that is upon us is to you and to your children who are afar off or in other words to all generations in other words the promise is to who it's to us the Holy Spirit will come upon you he will enable you and he'll give you the ability to do the work he's called you to do to make disciples amen you may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.